0: We are starting a three-week mini-series this morning, uh, talking or looking at uh, each of our core values. So our three core values here at Center Church are gospel, community, and mission. So if you're newer here, it's a good time to be here because it's a chance to kind of get a a flavor for what we're about and what we're trying to do as a church. So this morning we're going to be talking about the gospel we would say that the gospel is, is the point of everything that we do. It's kind of the foundation. It, it's, the, it's the beginning, it's the end. It's the, the motivation for everything that we do. It's the goal for everything that we do. And then flowing out of the gospel, and we're going to look at these things the next couple of weeks, is the idea that the gospel creates community. And so Jesus' church is formed, so we're gathered. We want to encourage us to be in depth of relationship with one another so that we can walk through life with each other. We can embody the gospel to one another. We can encourage and correct one another. So the gospel creates community, and then the gospel compels mission as well. We don't believe the gospel just so that we then can put our feet up and enjoy it ourselves. But in the same way that Paul says, uh, the gospel was delivered to him he received it and then he went to deliver it to others we want to do that as well we want to receive believe the gospel and then we want to deliver it to others also so everything flows from the gospel though and that's what we're going to look at this morning so i want to make as we get going here before we look at our uh, scripture text i want to make just a few comments about the gospel so what what is the gospel first of all because It's really easy to just assume. It's a really churchy word. Um, We use it a lot here. And so we always want to try and be explicit about uh, theological terms that we're utilizing uh, so that we're never losing people. We're never like just talking over people's heads. So what is the gospel? The Greek word is uh, euangelion, uh, which means the good news of the Messiah. It means good news. But specifically or more specifically we would say it's the good news of jesus so the gospel is jesus life death and resurrection that is the good news of jesus and and oftentimes we even shrink that down a little bit more to say the gospel is jesus death and resurrection looking specifically at the cross and the empty tomb the fact that he rose from the dead so that's what the gospel is now why is it a core value for us here at center church i mean you can you could pick out a ton of core values right but we boiled it down to three and the reason that we we would say that this is uh, not just a core value but kind of the primary core value for us is because we see jesus as the center of god's revelation and so we want him to be the center of Our church. So we believe that Jesus is the point of the Bible. So everything prior to Jesus is pointing forward to Him, it's anticipating Him. And then where we're at today, everything that has happened after Jesus is pointing back to Him. So everything revolves around Jesus, it revolves around the gospel. And so center church this ties into our name is centered on the gospel when we were coming up with our name this was we were thinking about the gospel the center of our church is jesus he's the point of it all so we talk about being gospel centered and and what we ta- what we're meaning when we talk about being gospel centered is that the gospel or jesus is the number one priority in our lives okay So it doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter if we're sitting here on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if we're uh, sitting in rush hour in a car. It doesn't matter if we're at work. It doesn't matter if we're at the gym working out, if we're eating a meal with our family uh, or friends uh, around a table. The gospel is always the number one priority in our lives. Now, we understand that it's not always the number one priority in our lives but by by seeking to be gospel-centered we're trying to call all of us to that to believe the gospel uh, number one because the reality is the reason that we sin is because we're not believing the gospel we're believing in something else and so we want to continually call ourselves to make the gospel the number one priority in our lives and in that It is the lens through which we look at all of life. So if we're wearing a pair of glasses, the gospel is the lens through which we're looking at all of life. It's the filter through which we would interpret life, the way or the things that we encounter day in and day out, the way someone might react to us. We want to interact with that through the filter of the gospel. We believe that through the gospel, life makes sense, that questions are answered in and through Jesus. Now, Within the human heart, there is this sinful tendency to make life all about us. Who we are, what we do. And this manifests itself in the Christian life by deceiving us to think that once we believe in Jesus, once we believe in what Jesus has done, that then we move on to what we can do for Jesus. Okay, so when that happens jesus kind of takes a back seat he gets pushed to the side we move beyond the gospel in a sense so we could say that we assume it rather than making it a priority or pervasive or explicit we just assume that the gospel is there in the background so one way that this can take uh, form in a church is uh, you could go to a church and you can listen to the pastor preach a sermon and then when you get to the end of the sermon the pastor says here's four things that i want you to do this week in order for you to to thrive in your christian life in order for maybe implied in order for you to be a good christian do these four things and then what ends up happening is week after week you get another three or four things and by the end of the year you've been given 250 things and what happens with those things is they begin to become a burden on you and you can, your Christian life can become really scattered. Well, I was supposed to do these four things last week. Now I'm supposed to do these three things. And, and what ends up happening is there's all these rules, these moralistic things that you're supposed to do. And we begin to believe that the Christian life is about what we do, not what Jesus has done. And when we do this, and we all do this, but when we slip into this thinking we begin to find ourselves feeling pride or despair. Oftentimes, we don't feel it. We're we're unconscious to it. But on days when we are knocking it out of the park, like we have got our stuff together, we will be prideful because we will think, I am a good Christian. Now, we probably won't think that that explicitly, but that's kind of the undercurrent uh, on the good days. And on the bad days, we will despair because we will realize we can't do it we can't save ourselves we can't be good enough we can't follow enough rules and so we will despair and this gets really tricky because we oftentimes will still say that in the background the gospel is there it's still there it's still kind of the foundation but What ends up happening then is we effectively trick ourselves because we really are not trusting Jesus. We're trusting in our ability to follow Jesus' commands. And that becomes the basis for our salvation. And we never want to move towards that. We always want the gospel to be explicit because ultimately then what what happens to us is we end up living just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. God gave them Ten Commandments. They could not keep them. They failed over and over and over. They proved to us that it's impossible for anyone to be like Jesus. And so it would be foolish for us to live that way as well, to think that we can be something that the Israelites could not be. Only Jesus can be Jesus. So let's let Jesus be Jesus, and then let's do what he calls us to do, to believe the gospel, to trust in him the other thing that can happen here is uh if if it's not just about following jesus rules okay the commands that he gives jesus can also then just become a convenience to us we'll go to him when we really need him when life gets bad or we're really hurting or we don't know what else to do we'll go to him at those times and jesus says no all the time depend on him day and night be looking to him Running to him, trusting in him at all times. So Christians are called to believe the gospel, and even the power to do that is found in and through what Jesus has done. So we want to continually look to Him and hope in Him. Okay, so this morning, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to look at one verse, just one verse this morning, Second Corinthians 5:21. Let me read this for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read this one more time. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This verse, uh, many theologians would look at this verse and say this is one of the best uh, summaries of the gospel in and of itself. That This, this is a great way to uh, summarize uh, the whole of the gospel. Uh, many theologians have talked about this, have used the phrase the great exchange to talk about this verse. Martin Luther said this, That is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein, by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's, and the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them in the same manner as he grieved and suffered in our sins and was confounded, in the same manner we rejoice and glory in his righteousness. Sinners become righteous while Jesus, the righteous one, becomes sin. This is an amazing concept. This is the foundation of The gospel. So, what I want to do this morning is I just want to look at this verse and break down a number of phrases that we see in this verse. Before I do that, though, just a quick comment here about the context of this writing. So, this is the Apostle Paul that's writing this. He's writing to the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul wrote basically two thirds of the New Testament. This church was known for its Rebellion and for its sin. And the verse, the verse that we're looking at today happens to be found in, in the midst of uh, a chunk of verses that's talking about reconciliation. Okay? So Paul is writing about the gospel being a ministry of reconciliation. What he has been called to is a ministry of reconciliation. The fact of bringing people near to God, telling them about the good news of Jesus so that they then would be able to be brought near to God. In in verse 19, so this is two verses prior to the, the verse we're looking at, Paul explicitly states that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And this is what Paul been drawn into he is proclaiming the gospel so that others would be reconciled to god himself in the same way that he has okay so first phrase i want to look at is the phrase that jesus knew no sin jesus knew no sin hebrews 4 15 says this for we do not have a high priest and this is referring to jesus as a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was without sin. Think about that. Never once did he lash out in sinful anger. No sexual sin, not even a lustful thought never a lie, not even a white lie. In Jesus, there was no sinful pride, and you might say, I was thinking about this, no sinful pride, but, well, it probably makes that a little easier, g- given the fact that he's actually literally, legitimately superior to everyone else, so, so any thought he would have would actually not be sinful pride, right? So, but he never had sinful pride. I think about sometimes, maybe some of you feel this way, like you want to surround yourselves with people who will help you grow, who will challenge you, who will lift you up, who will make you a better person. And I think about Jesus, right? Like, he's the epitome of this, right? Of helping us to become something more, of growing. He's the epitome of that. Now, if we think about Jesus' life, Jesus did break laws, right? He broke Commands And the Pharisees took major issue with this. Jesus did this thing. He healed on the Sabbath. He did these other things that they said, you are breaking the law. But what we find is that Jesus never broke the law in a sinful way. He was fulfilling the law. Now, we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus knew no sin. So the contrast to Jesus then is us. We are the contrast here. Every part of our existence is fractured. Everything. We taint everything that we touch. A relaxing vacation oftentimes doesn't move us to thankfulness, but to covetousness, right? Like, I want that more. I want to do that again. I want to do that for longer. When we see beauty... We oftentimes can't or won't praise God for his creative handiwork. Rather than praising God, we we'll think we need to possess that. We need to abuse that, to consume that, to have that beauty as our own. And when we have it, we oftentimes want more. We're not satisfied with what we have. And once we are satisfied, it lasts for such a short amount of time. We will try to find ways to become more satisfied. Now, yeah. I was thinking about this. I, I like trying new things when I'm at a restaurant, okay? So I'll, I'll look at the menu and I'm like, whoa, that looks really good. I haven't tried that before. I like trying new things. When I married my, my wife, when we would go out to eat, she would order a cheeseburger, a plain cheeseburger, that she would order the exact same thing every single time, and I just, I could not get my mind around that, but now I can a little bit. W- when I go to Chipotle, like, I order the same thing every single time. I don't need to veer from that. I know what will satisfy me when I'm at Chipotle, and so, but that's a rare thing, that I have something that will satisfy but here's the thing, even that, I'll think, oh, if I eat Chipotle more, then that will satisfy me. So if I go there three days in a row, but then by the end of those three days, I'm like, I don't want to eat Chipotle for a number of weeks. I'm like the Israelites with the manna. Like, I'm sick of this. I don't want any more of it. It's rare for us to be satisfied and for that satisfaction to maintain. Every part of us is broken. But not Jesus. Not Jesus, which makes this next statement so remarkable. Jesus knew no sin, but then Jesus became sin. He became sin. So what I want to do here is just talk a little bit about sin. What is sin? So biblically, oftentimes, uh, the idea is missing the mark. So there's a bullseye, and we don't hit the bullseye. We miss the mark. It's it's unrighteous. It's not right. It's disobedience against God's law. It's hatred for God. And, And what ends up happening then when we sin is it draws God's wrath. So we think about then, Jesus became sin. So Jesus became all of these. He became the epitome of missing the mark. Jesus became the epitome of unrighteousness, of that which God would pour his wrath out on. So that's what sin is. But let's talk a little bit about what sin does as well. So one great place to go and and look at this is Adam and Eve's original sin. So at the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we find Adam and Eve there. Uh, God creates them they're living in a garden God says don't eat from this tree and they can't obey one one command that God gave to them and so they sin against God and what happened when they sinned they went and they hid from God they tried to run away from him so one thing we know that sin does is it brings shame it makes us want to hide to hide from God to hide from others. This is what sin does to us. Adam and Eve then were driven out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. Sin drives us from God. Sin separates us from God. And we see a really distinct picture of this with Jesus on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus feels that separation. He feels that distance from god god intends to bless us but we invite divine curses upon ourselves as we choose sin over god now think about sin sin typically doesn't look to us grotesque or ugly does it i mean sin oftentimes is attractive right it it draws us in it's enticing to us the tree that Adam and Eve looked at, I'm guessing that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it wasn't ugly. I'm guessing that the piece of fruit that they, eat, that they ate wasn't rotten. It probably looked really good. But the reality is, sin brings conflict and pain and struggle. Sin might look good, but it's going to be destructive. It is deceptive. So what we know is that Sin is grotesque, brutal, vicious, and horrific, even if it doesn't look that way. And the best place to get a picture of what sin is is Jesus on the cross, this man whose body is destroyed, bloodied, torn apart, and ultimately will die. That is what sin is, and that is what sin does. So Jesus knew no sin and Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did all that he did so that his enemies would become righteous. That which is broken is put back together that we can be made right, that we can be forgiven that our debt can be paid that we can find freedom jesus lived a perfect righteous life there was no flaw in him to give ourselves over to jesus to believe in him means that we share in that we share in his perfection we share in his rightness his righteousness so as flawed and sinful as we might be and we all know we are that when god looks at us when we trust in him our record becomes jesus record we become righteous when god looks at us he sees righteousness it's an astounding reality so that shame that you feel if you're trusting in Jesus that shame that you feel that that shame that i felt when i threw a rock through an elderly woman's window when i was 8 years old Jesus takes that upon himself those lustful thoughts and actions Jesus takes those upon himself our cheating our lying our insecurity our laziness our fear Jesus takes all of it. There's a word that's become really meaningful to me when I think about Jesus doing this. And that's, the word is absorb. Jesus absorbs all of it. And this has taken on new meaning for me being a parent. Because I love my kids. I would die for my kids. And they're just jerks to me sometimes. Like they are mean. They hate me sometimes. They're sassy, disrespectful, disobedient. And as I look at the gospel, I see I am the exact same way to God. And he absorbs that. And I get this opportunity to interact with my kids and to absorb it. And it is immensely difficult but even in the midst of the difficulty, I'm being reminded of the fact this is what Jesus did in a much better way than I'm doing right now. He absorbed my sin. He absorbs it right now. First Peter two twenty-two to 24 uh, I think captures this idea of absorbing really well. It says about Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He takes it upon himself. He absorbs it for your Benefit. And one thing I love about this, Jesus doesn't say that he loves a future version of us, right? He's not saying clean yourself up, get your stuff together, and then I will make you right. Like I'll, I'll take the last leg of it. No, he absorbs it. He makes us right. He loves us in the midst of our messiness, our worst sin. He loves us there, So the jacked-up, lazy Kevin, he forgives that Kevin, not a future version of Kevin, not a better version that I might envision. He loves and forgives and dies for me in all of my mess, and for you in all of your mess. And, And it's not as though we look at this and be like, ha, Jesus is such a sucker. He got such a raw deal with this that, that we look at this and be like, oh, I see how this works. I'm going to just take advantage of this, and I'm going to sin all the more. Not at all. If we understand what's going on here in this exchange, if we understand how Jesus is suffering for us, what he's accomplishing here, we won't want to take advantage of that, We'll want to receive that, believe in it, live in it all the more, and then give it to others so that others could know the same freedom and forgiveness that we know as well. Augustine was a theologian many years ago. He speaks of what happened within himself when this exchange took root in him. He writes, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. I love that phrase. Fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and you took their place. O Lord my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. In this exchange, in the place of sin, we get righteousness. But but with righteousness comes all these other good gifts as well. Hope and joy and peace. And the list goes on and on. So we become the righteousness of God. And then the last phrase I want to look at this morning. Two words. In Him. In Jesus none of this happens outside of jesus it's all directly distinctly connected to jesus there's a theological concept known as union with christ when we're united with christ there's all of these these results these positive realities that flow from being united with him when we believe the gospel Aside from Jesus, we cannot be forgiven. We cannot be righteous. We cannot find true freedom. We might find forms of freedom, but we won't find true freedom. Jesus is the key. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. Be near to me. Be connected to me. Believe in me. For apart from me, we can do nothing. Without Jesus, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are lost. We are hopeless. Being in Jesus, and it's not like this second chance to then do life right. Like, oh, now I've figured it out. I'll stop doing all these things and I'll start doing life right in all these ways. No, Jesus is saying he is life. He is the life that we are looking for. Being in Jesus means we are hidden in Christ. He's our protector. We get lost in Him. Being in Jesus means we entrust ourselves to Him completely, everything. We acknowledge our sinful guilt. We understand that there's no other way for us to be saved except through Jesus. Jesus is our only hope, and so we trust in Him, in His sacrifice, in His love for us in his death and resurrection he provides the forgiveness that we desire and that we need and that we cannot find anywhere else we are secure because we are in jesus there is none greater than him so in the same way when we go swimming and we dive into the water and we immerse ourselves in the water we immerse ourselves in jesus as christians he is on us and in us and around us he is everything to us so our lives are about swimming in the gospel every spiritual benefit flows from being in jesus which is made possible because he has exchanged his righteousness for our sin Our whole life is wrapped up in him. A few points of gospel application for us this morning. First of all, think about Jesus' brutal death on the cross. It's good to regularly do this, not just on Good Friday, but every day of our lives to reflect on this reality. Our sin put Jesus there to feel the weight of that. When I think about my sin, and there are times when I think, oh man, my sin is, my sin is really bad. Even in those moments, I have to acknowledge, my sin is worse than I think. It's worse than I think. Our sin is a massive offense. If you think about this building, if it was burning, and this room was filling up with smoke, the smoke becomes offensive to our lungs, right? And we want to escape it. we want to run out of here much more than that smoke choking life out of us, choking breath and it being offensive to our lungs, to our bodies. Our sin is much more offensive to Jesus and it causes us to run from him. Think about the fact that our sin Your sin put Jesus on the cross, but don't stop there because that will leave us hopeless, damned. Don't stop there. Reflect on Jesus' love. Reflect on the fact that he went on that cross because he loved you. He cared that much about you because that was the only way for your sin to be dealt with the verse we're looking at began with the phrase for our sake. He went up on that cross for your sake because of his love for you. Think about when I'm sinned against, my natural response is still to think about how I can get revenge, how I can maybe hurt somebody else, how I can make someone else feel small But that's not what Jesus does. In verse 19, two verses before, it says, Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Jesus was not sitting there with this red pen, adding up all of these sins, so that with each sin, uh, the power behind the fist that he would swing at us would become that much harder. No. Jesus was not counting trespasses against sinners. He was seeking to reconcile them to himself. Oh, the depth and the riches of his love for us. So think about Jesus' death. How our sin put him there. Reflect on Jesus' love. And then lastly, as you do all of this, and just for us today, what, what sin do you need to exchange? Because there's, there's no one here who's walking through life sinless right now. There's no one who's going to walk out of here and, and have a sinless rest of your day. You're just not going to do it. So what sin do you need to exchange? Jesus makes the offer your sin for his righteousness. It's the best offer ever. There's not, you're not going to get a better offer when, when you walk out of here. You just won't. The reality is, your sin and my sin is dumb. Sin is dumb. For us to chase after it, to indulge in it, it's dumb. Don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Okay? There is no sin. But we have this tendency, okay, to, to make sin too small. Don't minimize your sin. Don't make sin too big, okay? There is no sin that is more powerful than Jesus' forgiveness. So don't make your sin too small. Don't make your sin too big. To do so is to minis- minimize what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And we read in Romans 8.1, there is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So find your life in Jesus. Find your being in Jesus. This is believing the gospel. We want to live our lives in Jesus over and over and over. I, I hear this, uh, just I think, because of my role and because of the way in which we read the Bible here that I get that, Kevin. I get that. Now what? What? Now what? We don't move beyond this. This is the Christian faith, believing the gospel over and over and over. So last week we talked about Paul. Paul said, I received it, I believed it, now I'm delivering it. The same things that they had believed previously. So the Corinthians, they had received it, they believed it, it's being delivered to them. Again, we need the gospel to be delivered to us over and over and over, and over. It's unbelievably practical. The reason we're going to walk out of here and we're going to sin today is because we're believing in something less than Jesus. So the call for all of us is to believe the gospel, the greatest news in the world, the best offer that you'll receive today and every day of your life, your sin for Jesus' righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for The good news that you are. I pray that you would help us not to assume it, not to think that we move beyond it. Help us to put our roots down deep in you. Help you to be the best news in our lives. Help the gospel to be primary. May it shape our calendar. May it shape our interactions and our relationships. May it shape how we view our bodies, what we eat, how we spend our money, why and how we vacation, how we utilize our houses. May the gospel form and shape every part of our lives. Help us to deliver it to others where we don't see it as profoundly amazing news. Would you help us to see it? Would you open our eyes? Help us to never become bored with your good news. May it be what gets us up in the morning, what fuels us throughout the day. May it be everything. May Jesus be everything to us. And may others be drawn to you because they see the hope, the joy, the righteousness that's found in and through the gospel. In your great name I pray, amen. You guys stand.